Hi, and welcome to the Christian Fundamentals Foundations course. As we journey through these lessons together, my hope is that your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ will find meaningful expression and lead you on to maturity and fruitfulness in your walk with Him. I trust that this lesson will guide and encourage your heart. So folks, tonight uh, we are... Oh, I, I see I haven't greeted you. Hello, Christelle. Good to see you. Uh, let's jump into our lesson. Tonight we're going to talk about baptism. Baptism in water, most specifically. So last week we spoke about uh, understanding what baptism meant, looking at some of the Greek words, submersion, and all those kinds of things. Tonight we're going to talk specifically about baptism in water. Now, is there anybody... I, I don't know. I know some of you, most of you on, on the screen have been baptized... I don't know if there's anybody who hasn't been baptized yet, uh, or if there's, you know, somebody who's been baptized as an infant, not as an adult. We're going to talk through some of those things tonight, but obviously the whole purpose of this teaching is to gain an understanding of the practice of baptism in water. Uh, so the first thing I want to comment on is the fact that when we talk about baptism in water, we need to understand that Jesus commanded all his disciples be baptized. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go therefore, this is Jesus speaking in the Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, how? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, baptism is sort of the entrance to discipleship, if you like. So if you, if you think of discipleship as some kind of an apprenticeship, where you come and you no longer live your own life, doing things your own way, you come and you now live almost in, uh, <clears throat> with the person you are, are, who is discipling you, you learn their ways, you follow them, etc., etc. Discipleship is kind of signing the, uh, the application form, or, 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 you know, and, and it's, it's, your, it's where you're in. You're now in, and this is now what you've committed to, and you're now in. You're in the school of, of, Jesus, of Jesus' discipleship. Uh, and like I said, a disciple is someone who believes and obediently follows the teachings of another. In other words, that he may become like that one. Uh, you know, a, a nice example. Stephen always used, likes to use this example, and it's quite a good one. For those of you who've seen the movie Karate Kid with Mr. Miyagi and, and, the, young, and the young boy and how he teaches him to wax on and wax off and he, he teaches him all his ways so that when the time comes, he can... He, he can overcome the enemy, in, in a sense. And that's really kind of what Jesus does with us as well. And so baptism is one of the first steps in, in becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We also spoke about the, the four parts of, of being born again or receiving salvation. Um, and that is repentance towards God. faith Sorry, repentance from dead works. Faith towards God. Baptism in water and receiving the Holy Spirit. There's a guy called David Pawson who's a prolific, who was a prolific teacher of the word. He always used to use the acronym RBBR, rubber. Repent, believe, be baptized, receive. That's the progression and that's the process. And, and so I want to you know, even lay a foundation tonight. When we talk about this word salvation, we understand that it means to sort of come out of death and into new life. 
But that, in our English vernacular, is kind of the, the essence of what that means. I'm, I'm saved. I now have salvation, which is eternal life. But the Greek word for salvation, sozo, applies, it means so much more than just having eternal life. It means having the very life of God within you, along with its power and its grace and, and healing and, 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 and all the things that come with this salvation package. And so we see that baptism in water is a part of this receiving salvation and and cooperating with the process of salvation. So in Acts chapter 2, Jesus is now ascended. The the, the disciples were commanded to go and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit fell on the place. Everyone is baptized in the Holy Spirit. More on that next week. Uh, They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they begin speaking with other tongues The people around them wonder what on earth is going on. And so Peter stands up, he preaches his first sermon. And after his first sermon, there is a cry from the people. And this is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. They are crying out, what must we do to be saved based on what, what you've just told us, Peter? And he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said, and the rest, uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here we see the instruction from Peter saying, What should you do? Be baptized for the remission of sins. Now that word's quite interesting there. The remission, the doing away with of the sin uh, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see there that the first response to the gospel being preached after Jesus was the first requirement was baptism. Now, why baptism just as an act, as a ritual or as a formality can, can quickly become just a, a religious thing that needs to be taken care of and needs to be done. So let me give you an example. A little while ago, people that I'd met once, in fact, they, were, they attended a funeral that I did for uh, a family and family member of ours. That, so I'd never met them before, but they attended the, the funeral. And they basically reached out through another family member and said, you know, we'd like you to, to we'd like to baptize our children, can you come and can you can you do something like that? We'd like to do it at a private ceremony. And so basically, I went to go and see them, and I said to them, "It's quite interesting that you've asked me. Uh, do you have a church that you belong to? No, not really. But he was Afrikaans, and his family obviously was putting on the pressure because in Enchir tradition, you do up your And so uh, he. He was asking me these things, and so I realized that there was no sort of personal relationship that he or his wife really had with God, but this was a religious formality that they were trying to to fulfill. And so my counsel to him was, look, if you guys want me to just to, to baptize or to or to christen or dedicate your child and pray a prayer of blessing over them, I'd happily do that, and you can gather your family together and do that. But I said, for me, what's far more important is when you dedicate, what we call dedication, when you dedicate a child, really what you're dedicating is not just the child to God, but you're dedicating yourself to raising that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
And you place yourself within a body of believers who will hold you accountable in that, in that stead. And I explained all of these things to these people and I said to them, it will be far more beneficial that you hook up with, if you want to come to our church, you're welcome, but find a spiritual family that can journey this through with you rather than just ticking a box and say, all right, now the kid's baptized and we carry on living our lives however we want to. What's the point of that? And I think when it comes to baptism, if baptism is just a box that we've ticked, we've completely missed the point. And so what, the next point that I really want to make here is that baptism is an act of faith in, in the saving power of Jesus Christ. It is an expression of genuine faith. So in Mark chapter 16, again talking about the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go out into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. So in other words, baptism follows from believing. It is the evidence of faith. And so we also see that baptism in this scripture is yoked with believing the gospel. So if you believe, you'll be baptized. You understand the significance here that, that, and the weight that Jesus is placing on this practice of baptism? of identifying and doing away and re- with the sin of mankind, washing in the waters, if you like, and coming out in the new life of Jesus. And we'll get into the details of that a little bit more. But as we've spoken about in previous lessons, every step of faith requires corresponding action. Uh, James 2.26, uh, as I said, we've discovered that in, in previous lessons. And that's why... You know, when we read the Bible and it talks about baptism, when it talks about baptism as an act of faith, that's why we can understand that that scripturally, we don't see infant baptism anywhere in in the Bible. There are two occasions that many people refer to. They say with with Cornelius, and I think it was also Lydia and her household, it says the whole household was baptized when they came to faith. Therefore, surely children were included there. Well, maybe, but it doesn't specifically say So I want to talk to you a little bit about infant baptism because it's good that we understand where this came from because here's what I do want to say about infant baptism. I I want to say that infant baptism, as it is practiced in many many, uh, denominational circles, is not insignificant in the lives of those who are practicing it. Why do I say that? Because parents who are baptizing their children, by and large, unless they're just trying to tick some box, do so with good intention. They've been taught a certain way. Uh, They've been raised up in a tradition that says we need to baptize our children, that that everybody needs to be baptized. And so I'm never going to say or, or diminish or belittle somebody's infant baptism as a meaningless thing. All right. So I want to be sensitive on that. I don't agree with it. I will say that much, and we'll get into the details of that shortly. But here's another interesting thing. In occultic practices, so in other words, in the practice of Satanism, if somebody was wanting to convert into occultic practices, one of the questions they will ask you is, have you been baptized? Is there some kind of mark or seal over your life? Uh, and if you aren't, the answer is yes. They will, there's a, obviously a, a thing that they will work through to denounce that, that mark on your life. So, 
But what I do want to say about infant baptism is this. When we understand its origins and how it came into the church, we better understand why it exists so prolifically today. So let's think, going back many, many years, there was a guy called Constantine. He was uh, emperor of Rome. And what happened was he went into this battle that the odds were stacked against him. You may have heard this story before. And he called out to the God of, of the Christians and said, you know, if you give me this, vac- this victory, I will follow you. And he saw a vision in the sky of a cross and the words that said, in this you shall conquer. And so he went out to battle. He won this battle in, in a miraculous way. And in so doing, not only began to follow, not only became a Christian and began to follow the way of the believers, but he made Rome's official religion Christianity, or he made Christianity the official religion of Rome. Hence, the Roman Catholic Church. That's kind of where it started and where it was born. Now, let me ask you a question. If you become, for you to be a citizen of, of the kingdom of heaven, what do you need to do? Well, you need to believe and you need to be baptized. We are baptized into citizenship. That's why last week we spoke about being baptized into one body. Remember all of that? The other question I have for you is this. How do you become a citizen of a country? You get born in that country. And so when church and state are one, you now need to fulfill dual obligations for each and every citizen. Every citizen either needs to be, must obviously be born in the country, or there's obviously some kind of immigration procedure, as well as if the church and state are one, every citizen therefore needs to be baptized. Hence, Infant baptism was instituted as a part of the faith being worked out within, the, within the, the political structures and systems of a nation, fulfilling the requirements of both in one. And so we understand, perhaps with, I'm sure, with good intention, how it is that infant baptism became entrenched in the life of the church um, and has remained in many denominations up to now. But then along came these guys called the Anabaptists, who got hold of the, the scriptures that said, no, 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 baptism is evidence of faith. It is, we don't see infant baptism taught or widely practiced in the scriptures. And so they, they were persecuted by the church. They were killed by the church for, for going against this, this, this theory of, of, or this doctrine of infant baptism. And folks, today, I want to tell you, it's still a divisive thing. It's still a, a, a thing that many disagree on. Some guys who I know and love and walk very closely with still practice and believe in infant baptism. So let me leave that there because my job here tonight is not to tell you why that is wrong and tell you everything that's wrong about it. I don't want to dismantle things. Here's my heart in this. My heart is to teach you what I see the Bible say about baptism. Not to teach you what the Bible does not say. What I do not see in the Bible is deliberate practice of infant baptism. Why? Because when we understand the the practice of baptism, when yoked with believing the gospel, we need to understand that a child or a baby doesn't have the faculties to believe God, to understand the gospel message. Therefore, how can it, as an act of faith, be baptized of its own accord? A couple of lessons ago, we we covered the fact, Derek Prince said that, you know, we can't believe on behalf of another person. Each one of us 
must make a decision for Christ ourselves. We ourselves need to put our faith in Him. I cannot do that on behalf of anybody else, not even my child. So the practice that we do is we recognize the significance of praying over and blessing a baby, of dedicating that child to the Lord. That's why we practice child dedications. But in that process, I as the father am standing up and saying, God, I will raise these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so you will find in denominational practices when um, a child has therefore come of age, the normal age where we would now really start saying, if there's faith evident in this person's life, let's get them baptized if they believe in the Lord. Uh, they have a thing which is called confirmation. So now, instead of the parents standing in front of the church saying, we will make sure that this child follows Jesus, the parents are now saying, all right, we've had enough of fighting to get this child to church every Sunday. They're now going to make their own promises and be it on their heads. And so I remember I was part of denominational church when I was in high school and, com and uh, confirmation time came up and I was highly controversial and kicked against the goads because I said, why do I need to stand in front of a church of people and confirm my faith? Surely my life should confirm that already. To which there was no real good argument as to why I should do that because, you know, I'm a youth leader. I'm playing in the worship team. I am committed. I am there. Uh, okay, some stuff came out later that needed discipline. I'll tell you that story on another day. But the truth is that, that I kicked against the goads there because just to, you know, in, in the same way that you could just, okay, we, I'm getting baptized because I need to tick that box and I'm getting confirmed and I need to tick that box. Folks, we're talking about relationship with Jesus here. We're talking about being disciples and following him and therefore baptism has tremendous significance. So let me go on to say a couple more things that are controversial and then we will move on into some more of the details. Oh, let's get rid of the controversial stuff first. Baptism is an act of submission to God, proving repentance from self-will towards obedience. And then point four, point four. The absence of intentional baptism as an act of faith in the life of one consenting to be a believer, oh sorry, confessing to be a believer, brings into question the sincerity of their initial commitment to Christ and the genuineness of their conversion experience. Why do I make that very loaded statement? I make that statement because I know and I'm sure you know of many people who consider baptism to be some kind of optional extra. Yeah, I've, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living and I'm doing church and I'm going, then I'm doing all of this stuff. Uh, and for some reason, there's this reluctance to be baptized. I don't understand that. And we just don't see that in the Bible anyway. And so that kind of brings me to, question, to the question to say, look, if, if you're not wanting to obey the very first commandment gives, Jesus gives to you and me as believers, what, what, why is that there? Why this resistance? Why this reluctance? Now, it could very well be because of different doctrinal matters and different ways of thinking about it. And then that needs shepherding. That needs pastoring. We've got to hear the person's heart and walk with them through all of this. But somebody who is refusing baptism as a believer brings, brings certain things into question in my mind. So, if believing the gospel is yoked with being baptized, then rejection of baptism by simple deduction must be evidence of dead faith. In other words, I'm professing obedience. I'm professing discipleship. 
but I'm not following through. So the spiritual principle, which we've discussed on numerous lessons beforehand, is that genuine faith will always result in an outward expression. Simply observing outward expression, however, is not necessarily indicative of genuine faith. And that's kind of the point I've been covering over the past five minutes or so. So, Scripture is clear that when people received and believed the gospel message, they were baptized without delay. Derek Prince says, The entire New Testament, baptism is always directly associated with salvation. The early church knew nothing of a salvation that was not followed by baptism. From Pentecost on, every convert was baptized upon conversion. And in those days, usually the same day. You know, we've got stuff we need to unlearn before we get baptized these days because we're so confused, even as I've just explained, so many ways of looking at it. But when somebody is born again, the first thing we talk about is, let's get you baptized. So, here's where the real heart of baptism comes through. And that is in the active participation of our death, burial, and resurrection in Christ Jesus. So Romans 6, verses 1 to 5 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. And so here we get this idea of the picture of what baptism means, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, for a burial, what do you need? A dead body. Generally, it's not common practice to bury people whilst still alive, though may be tempted in some cases. In baptism, this burial, or this dead body, is the old man. It's our sin nature. It's our sinful nature, our unregenerated, carnal nature. You see, when we are born again, the Bible, we've covered this, that you become a new creature. Behold, all things have become new. Old things have passed away. They've died. They are dead. Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who now lives in me. And so really what baptism is, is that old man's funeral. It's like getting closure. You know, somebody dies in your family, it's a, it's a hurtful and it's a painful thing. But, you know, when seeing that coffin go down into the ground, there's an incredible sense of closure that comes from that. The realization of what has happened really hits. And when somebody is finally buried... It's as though, you know, now they can rest in peace, not just physically, but in our hearts and minds as well. Something definite has occurred. You know, when, some, when, when a loved one dies, generally you'll find, and obviously I'm, I, in, in, in my vocation, I have to, I get to, not have to, I get to walk with people through their times of bereavement. And, you know, it, we're often very numb in those times. The reality of what's happening doesn't really hit us. And so a memorial service and a funeral is a very final thing. And it puts to bed a phase of somebody else's life, of course. But also in our experience of life, 
It's the closure of a certain chapter. It's significant. And in the same way, this is what baptism does. Let me read you another portion of Scripture from Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. In Him you, also circumcised, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh, and by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And so we see the clear order here that first there is a circumcision made without hands. In other words, it's a renouncing of the flesh, of the old nature, and a cutting off or parting with that which was. And the second part then is the baptism. So in baptism, like I say, we identify with Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. And you can actually see there's a little picture there for you on your page. Going into the water symbolizes the burial of the old man. And so that's also why, another reason why full submersion is significant. It's a burial. We don't bury people by lying them on the ground and sprinkling a little bit of ground on top of their head. And now they're buried. No, they go in the ground. They go under. That's the significance of it. That's the imagery of it. Do you understand? I mean, it's, 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 it makes sense. It's very simple. The image here is burial, not splashial. All right. Coming out of the water then symbolizes the resurrection of Christ, victorious over the powers of sin. And so here again, another quote by Derek Prince, a significant one. Baptism doesn't make the old nature dead. It is the outward evidence that the death of the old nature has already taken place. I am acting on this new life that is now living within me. A person who seeks to bring about the death of the old nature by the act of baptism is following a course that is both illogical and unscriptural, and it will not produce the desired result. So, like I said, in the light of the above points, we can see the, the scriptural significance of full submersion. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the practice of sprinkling or pouring as they do not carry the symbolism of death, burial, and resurrection in newness of life. Another, verse, another Scripture from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27 says, For you are all... Excuse me. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, up to this point, I've been saying that baptism is our identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But I want to take it to another level because Scripture actually says a lot more about it than just that. It's not just some sort of identification with it, but through baptism, we actually become united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 6, and see what that says. But God, who is rich in mercy... Oh, this is the Amplified, no wonder. Okay, sorry. But God, so rich is He in His mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, slain, by our own shortcomings and trespasses, He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. 
In other words, he gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him, for it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in heavenly places or in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so, really, in the spiritual realm, Jesus has given us, through identification with His death, burial, and resurrection, we have risen up with Him, seated with Him in heavenly places, in His seat of victory over sin and death, and in a position of authority. That is hugely significant in the life of a believer. In our Christian Fundamentals Discipleship course, we have a lesson on the authority of the believer. And we need to understand the, the, the place that we have been given in the spirit realm, the authority, the measure of grace that rests upon you and me. Because that old defeated man has died and has been buried. He or she is a thing of the past. But there's a new man that's alive in you and me. That's the man of Jesus. And with, within us, the Spirit of God dwells richly. And so, with this act of baptism, there's an identification with the parting of the old, but what's also really important is this identification that we need to embrace of the new, of life in Christ Jesus, of His presence within and upon us. So let's spend a few minutes talking about the act of baptism. And this is just really practical stuff. So someone who desires to be baptized must obviously be of an age of accountability. So we want to see, as a pastor, I'm looking, is this person understand what they're doing? Is, do they understand the significance of baptism? Is there evidence of genuine faith? Or as John would say, fruit worthy of repentance? Uh, baptism should also always be accompanied by public confession, because that's what baptism is. It's an announcement to the world that I am now a disciple of Jesus Christ. My old man is dead. That guy you knew, this is his funeral. Come say goodbye. There's a new man coming up out of this water. And baptism should also, uh, yeah, according to Matthew 28, 19, the method of baptism should be that we baptize in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when somebody's being baptized, before they're plunged in the water, now they've made their confession of faith, I generally would say, put your hands on your chest, and I put my hand on top of them, so that they can be pushed down. That's not to be forceful, it's just people are buoyant, especially when they take a deep breath first. And so sometimes getting them under, you know, killing the old man is hard, okay? Burying him sometimes is tricky too. And so we do that, and then I would say something along the lines of, According to the confession of your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, I now baptize you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And down they go. And up they come again. And so what I want to say is this. Although baptism is the evidence of a work that's already taken place in the inside of us, in other words, in, the, in our soul, there is a spiritual significance to baptism as well. When we look at Jesus, 
What happened the moment he got baptized? The Holy Spirit came down and alighted upon him. Uh, there's something significant in that. Many times the experience is that people go in under the water and they come up, and as they come up, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time, and they start praying with other tongues. That, that often happens too. There is something significant in the act of baptism, like a banner that is raised up into the heavenlies to say, from this day forward, I belong to Jesus. There's an old, there's a so old song they used to sing. Um, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Praise the Lord. No turning back. That they sing of the baptism. The cross behind, the, the world behind me, the cross before me. Uh, no turning back. Praise the Lord. No turning back. So, in essence, on the practical note, water baptism is an act of obedience towards God and is the outward evidence of an inward commitment of faith that's already taken place in the life of the believer concerning the finished work of Jesus Christ being effective and active in their lives. It's an essential part of a salvation experience of anyone who confesses Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Concerning the act of baptism in water, I think I've covered the gist of it and given a, a good understanding of, of what it is, what it isn't, understanding how it works together with our faith. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.